Isn't it amazing that life has aligned in ways that have made it possible for each of us to be here together this morning, right at this moment? Let us come into this place knowing that being together is a powerful action in the face of individuality and division, that being here in community is what is needed right now. Come, let us be together. Good morning and welcome. I am Kristen Fanula, your new intern minister, and we have a full house today. I am here with our ministers, Reverend Angela Herrera and, our, and Reverend Bob Lavalley, worship leader, Judy Goring, and our director of music, Susan Peck. Our Time for All Ages is led by Mia Norin, our director of religious education. And I'm here with DJs William Baker and Chris Paul and Usher team, Alex Johnson Jimenez and Erica Johnson Jimenez. We are excited to be with you this morning and we are so happy that you're here. We're very glad to see all of our newcomers today. If you are visiting and feel comfortable, we invite you to put your name and pronouns and location in the chat so that we can greet you personally. Welcome. Good morning. Just a few announcements this morning. We had a great social, auction, social justice auction last Saturday. Many thanks to the organizers and everyone who came out for food and fund and fundraising. The church is still receiving donations, so we'll share the final tally later. After years of preparation, we're delighted to roll out our new online tool for communicating as a congregation, Realm. Realm is easy to use and allows us to coordinate our work together better. In order for Realm to work, it's important that every person in this congregation create a profile. Please see the weekly newsletter for information on how to do that and when we're holding trainings. If you aren't so hot on technology, help is available. We had a spectacular Connection Sunday last weekend, but the connecting is not over yet. Next Sunday, September 11th, there is an online connection sign up event on Zoom. This is a great chance for you to find your people and establish a personal community within our large church community. Check our weekly newsletter for information on how to attend. Thank you. After the last three years, it would seem like we should be okay with change, right? Well, today I have a couple of changes to announce that are less than okay for me. First, I want to share that our technical arts director, Chris Paul, will be leaving us to work for Bernalillo County. When we made the really challenging move to, to Zoom in March 2020, Chris moved from being a dedicated volunteer to leading our online worship technology. And he trained volunteers, he edited video, and he DJed many a Zoom service. And he quickly became indispensable. Unfortunately, now Chris is dispensing with himself and he begins with the county on September 12th. Chris, we are so grateful for your service in a really challenging time for the church. Congratulations on the new gig, and thank you so much for everything. And Chris will be here next Sunday as well, so you'll have an opportunity to say goodbye then. And if Chris leaving is not bad enough, I'm sad to share that our incredibly competent Director of Finance, Philip Robinson, will be leaving us in October. Philip joined us in June 2020 and quickly provided the stability that we had been lacking in our administrative functions. His attention to detail, ability to clearly communicate all and explain our finances, and just all around good judgment really helped the church when we needed a steady hand in that role. So as I said, Philip is leaving at the beginning of, opportunity, beginning of October for another opportunity, 
and he will be terribly missed and we'll have more chances to say goodbye to him as well. So we are now hiring for both these positions, the technical arts director and the director of finance. And the job announcements will be posted on the church website this week. If you know somebody who might be interested in one of these kinds of positions, have them put in an application. We'd love that. Kristen's gonna, I'm sorry, Judy's gonna light the chalice now. Our chalice lighting this morning was written by Florence Capel, honoring our leaders. In recognition of Labor Day, we light this flame to honor all work, including the work of our hands and our backs, in gratitude for all the labors that support our world and for all those who boldly continue to work of justice, equality, and peace. It is indeed amazing that life has aligned so that we can all be here together in this time on this day. I would like to teach you a song composed by UU composer David Glasgow. If you've been to GA, you might have heard this, and we're going to be singing it this month for belonging. We are here together. Our usher is going to place the lyrics into the chat bar and I'll sing it through three times so you can join me on the second time. share our children's affirmation with you this morning. I hope you'll join me. We are Unitarian Universalists. We are people of faith with open minds, <laughs> loving hearts, and helping hands. When we do that together in religious education, I usually have a child lead it because <laughs> they remember those symbols. So I have a story to share with you this morning. Uh, it has roots in both the Jewish and Muslim traditions, and it's about work, but it's also about belonging, our theme this month. A farmer decided to adventure to a far off land. Before he left, he found a man who agreed to look after his property while he was away. The caretaker could grow whatever crops he liked on the land and keep whatever profit he made while the farmer was away. One year went by. Two years disappeared. Ten years flew past. And finally, 20 years later, the landowner returned. When he arrived home, he could immediately see 
that the caretaker had done an excellent job. The fields were green and lush. Fruits hung heavy on the branches of the trees. He could hear the bleats and clucks of contented animals in the stable. The farm couldn't have been in better shape. When the caretaker recognized that the visitor was the farmer who'd left so long ago, he invited him in for tea. The two men exchanged news and gossip and the farmer thanked the caretaker heartily. As their conversation was drawing to a close, the farmer asked, where will you go now? Go, said the man. Where should I go? After all these years of care and labor, surely the land belongs to me. The farmer was perplexed. How could it possibly belong to you? It's mine and it always has been. The two men argued for a long time. Finally, the only thing they could agree on was to take their dispute to the wise man in the local village. The wise man listened carefully to each of their arguments. He was puzzled by the case. He could see both sides. After a while, the wise man said, I say we consult a higher authority. The farmer and the caretaker wondered who that might be. Would they need to travel to the city and take their case before the court? The wise man shook his head. He walked back to the farm with the two men. When they arrived, the wise man lay down on the ground and placed his ear next to the earth. The farmer and the caretaker watched. The wise man lay there for a long time. Finally, he stood up, brushed off his robe and declared, the land belongs to neither of you. What? The two men cried together. <laughs> the land has told me that you belong to it. The wise man bowed his head in farewell and then turned back home. Two men looked at each other for a long time. I wonder what they decided to do. Let's pause the chat for a few moments during the meditation and prayer. It is in stillness that we might feel the movements of things that would otherwise be unnoticed. Things like the turning of the earth and the lightning and the darkening of the sky. The clouds passing the end of one month and the start of another, the change of seasons. We might notice the sense of our own seasons and cycles in our bodies, in our relationships, in our lives. Let's try slowing down to stillness so that we might see these movements more clearly. In that spirit, I invite you to find a comfortable seat, maybe lengthen your spine if that's appropriate for your body today. Rest your feet, rest your hands, take a deep inhalation and let it go. Let's sit together, let's sit together in the stillness and the quiet for two minutes.
As a spiritual community, it is our deepest intention to be authentically present to one another, especially in times of challenge and times of joy. One way we do this is by pausing in the Sunday service to listen to the life-changing personal milestones in our lives. If you've had such a milestone and you choose to share it, now is the time to do so. Please share first your joys and then your concerns in the chat bar as prompted by the video. If you cannot share in the chat for any reason, we still want to hear from you. Please contact us at caring at uuabq.org.
and the joys and concerns that we may not even realize that we're carrying. All of them, we lift up to the great powers of celebration, healing, and renewal, known by many names. Let's bring our hearts together in prayer. We mourn the passing of Ferris Todd, who died on August 26. May her memory be a blessing, and may light perpetual shine on Ferris. We lift up Buena Kaler's husband, Eric, who awaits a diagnosis at the hospital. May he find information and wellness and comfort quickly. We pray for Chris Johnson as he makes his journey through cancer. May he feel the support of this congregation carrying him. We pray for the unhoused in our community who are demonized for the crime of being poor. May the people of Albuquerque learn that the unhoused are not the problem, but the symptom of many problems created by our economic system. We pray for those struggling with illness, be it mental or physical, spiritual or emotional. May all those who struggle find support and healing. And may those who care for the ill know that through their work, they bring love into the world. We give thanks for the renewed vitality of this congregation for connections restored, for new friendships and new things to do, and for new work for a more just and caring world that reflects our Unitarian Universalist values. May we know that we can't go back to the old ways, but that the new ways hold such promise. May we be happy, may we be healthy, may we be safe, may we be peaceful. May we all be held in the heart of love. Peace be with you. And also with you.
Our reading this morning is adapted from Nancy Schaefer, number 251, in Lifting Our Voices. This making of a whole self takes such a very long time. Pieces are not sequential, nor are supplies. We work here, then there, hold up tattered fabric to the light, sew past dark intent, use all our thread. Sleeves may come before length, buttons before a rounded neck. We sew at what must needs us, and as it asks, sew again. The self is not one thing, once made, unaltered, not midnight task alone, not after other work. It's everything we come upon make ours, all this fitting of what once was and has become. Love that reading. Before I begin the sermon, I just want to say a quick thing about the chat box, um, which we keep open during the sermon. We do that intentionally here at First Unitarian. We do that knowing that while talking back during a sermon is relatively unusual in white Protestant congregations or mostly white Protestant congregations, it's actually pretty common in other religious cultural spaces. And so we leave it open um, as part of creating a welcoming space. And we ministers also really enjoy seeing your thoughtful comments during the message when we get a chance to watch it as we go. It's also true that for folks who are uh, watching the service on a tablet or an iPhone, something that's not a regular computer, every chat pops up in kind of an intrusive way uh, during the message. So we ask you to, to save unrelated comments for after the message and that'll help keep a good balance for everybody, we hope. <laughs> well, this is the first Sunday in September, which marks the beginning of a new program year. And so we have a new monthly theological theme to go with that, belonging. I love what the researcher Brene Brown has to say about belonging. She says that it is not the same as fitting in. She says fitting in has to do with making ourselves fit the culture and norms of a group. But belonging is about being accepted for who you are by those who know you. She says you can't experience true belonging if your authentic self is hidden. If we wear a false self all the time, that false self might be embraced by others, it might fit in, but deep down, we'll know that our true self remains an outsider, right? A, a hidden observer. That's the difference between fitting in and belonging. We also belong in a different sense though, to larger human communities through processes that are less personal. In that case, belonging isn't about acceptance so much as it is about our socio-historical location. There's a big chunk of syllables for you. Socio-historical location just means the social and historical context in which we live. These are the often human-made larger forces that shape our lives. We each inhabit a certain area of a city in a certain country in the early 21st century. Artificial intelligence is about to transform things in this socio-historical location of ours. Some of it is charming, though we don't fully understand all the things AI is going to do yet. This week I read an article about applying AI to the sounds that animals make. Turns out Mole rats have distinct dialects. Who knew, right? Imagine an app like Google Translate, but for animals, that might happen. But other results of AI are much less predictable. We live in that time. We also belong to the Anthropocene, an era marked by human consciousness, knowledge, art, and music, as well as by our profound impact on the planet, irreversible now in our lifetimes or our children's or grandchildren's. It is an absolutely gorgeous and terrible time. 
we ultimately belong to the earth, as Mia conveyed in her story. And we live in a time in which capitalism's unsustainable features have created some snowballing problems that cannot be ignored. And by they can't be ignored, I mean that they are impacting our lives right now, whether we like it or not. For one thing, capitalism is focused on profit and production. The capitalist perspective makes everything, your life, the earth, look like the means to an end. Everything is viewed as a resource that can be used to produce profit. It's competitive before it's collaborative. In this time of capitalism, a few people hold a lot more resources than everyone else, and that is worsening. The top 1% of Americans hold more wealth than the bottom 90% combined. It's so uneven that while some people build private rocket ships to space and are still billionaires many times over when they return, others can't even afford a space to sleep safely at night. Billionaires. It's hard to wrap our minds around that because you know a billion is not 10 times more than a million that would just be 10 million and a billion is not a hundred times more than a million that would just be a hundred million a billion is a thousand times more than a million if i were to deposit one million dollars in your bank account and tell you to spend a thousand dollars each day and come back and see me when the money runs out you would be back in just about three years. But if I were to deposit a billion dollars in your bank account and tell you to do the same thing, spend $1,000 a day and come back when the money runs out, you would be back in about 3,000 years. That's how much money the poorest billionaire, the one that only has $1 billion, has. Elon Musk has $219 billion. Jeff Bezos, $171 billion. This year, Forbes magazine reported that there are 2,668 billionaires in the world. How many billionaires does the world need? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say none, not one. About a third of Americans my age feel that way, by the way. Older folks are less likely to agree. But among adults under 30, 50% believe that allowing some people to have a billion dollars or more is a bad idea. The youngest Americans face more financial hardship and insecurity than previous generations did at their age. And since money makes money, that snowballing effect is going to continue to shape their lives. When people are treated as a means to an end, as is often the case in capitalism, they tend to be seen as replaceable or even expendable. Many are expected to work jobs with unsafe conditions, toxic work environments, wages that don't keep up with inflation and not enough leave time. This can make it feel as though our work and by extension, maybe even ourselves belong to someone else. But people are ends in themselves. What I mean is that a person does not exist just to further somebody else's goals. Our lives are a value in and of themselves Everybody has inherent worth and dignity, as we say in Unitarian Universalism, and it is not a matter of how productive we are. In the early part of last year, the US began an economic phase that came to be known as the Great Resignation, when massive numbers of people began to quit their jobs. Between April and September of 2021, more than 24 million Americans quit. That's about 4 million per month. This year, between March and June, the average was even higher, 4.25 million per month. There's been a lot of discussion about why this is happening. In 2020, remember there were massive layoffs due to the pandemic. So how do we go from that to a great resignation just about a year later? Some people who quit had to leave their jobs in order to take care of kids while schools continued to be shut down. Some became disabled with long COVID, about one in every 40 people who catch COVID are still sick three months later. Anecdotally, the pandemic also seemed to have caused people to reassess their priorities. Life seemed shorter and more fragile after so many deaths. 
And making a big change, like leaving an unhappy job or starting a new career may have been intimidating before the pandemic, but the pandemic ushered in so much big change, maybe other changes started to look less daunting. And then there's the issue of flexibility, right? During the worst of COVID, people got to experience, many people, I should say, got to experience remote work for the first time. And often that was a plus. They stayed healthier. They saved time and money on commuting. It was better for the earth. Maybe it improved work-life balance. That was a toss-up though, with a lot of people reporting that they never really clocked out when they were working from home. Now with the shutdown lifted, many employers tried to require workers to come back to the office full time, but the workers weren't buying it. They went to companies that embraced the new flexibility. Others who were not allowed to work from home, like essential workers, were called heroes during the first few months of the pandemic, but any temporary benefit was soon replaced by hostile customers and low pay that no longer seemed worth it. You might think the great resignation was mostly made up of white collar workers, but that's not the case at all. Low wage workers in leisure and hospitality industries are actually the ones with the highest quit rate. Studies have revealed some other specific issues too. MIT's business journal, the Sloan Management Review reported that during the great resignation, toxic workplace culture was the most likely reason given for quitting. And then another MIT study investigated what people mean when they say toxic workplace culture, what is considered toxic. And it found that the most commonly reported toxic thing was feeling disrespected at work, feeling that there was a lack of courtesy, consideration and dignity for others. Kind of sounds like treating people as a means to an end. Number two was a lack of equity and inclusion that included not only race, but also LGBTQ, ability, age, and gender. Other toxic experiences included workplaces that are overly competitive or cutthroat, are unethical, or are abusive, including not only bullying and harassment, but also hostility. Has anybody here ever experienced a hostile work environment? I have, for sure. One example was when I was a housekeeper uh, back in the 1990s, one well-off woman that I worked for used to make disparaging comments about my body as she ordered me to do meaningless tasks like dusting the underside of her dining room table. The underside. A stressful workplace is a big deal. Work stress directly impacts an employee's health. It can lead to anxiety, depression, relationship problems, substance abuse, high blood pressure, heart attacks, and stroke. It is a big deal. So lots of people have been quitting. Now, not every job is stressful. Many employees love their jobs. But what should you do if you work at an unpleasant or even toxic job and quitting is not an option? Or what if you are unhappy in your job, but you're not at the point of needing to quit? Well, this goes back to a question that Bob and I often address in sermons. How do we do right by ourselves and others when we live within larger systems that do harm? How do we thrive and encourage others to thrive as well? Well, this is Labor Day weekend. Labor Day was founded by labor activists to celebrate the achievements of regular working people, including achievements that they won through organizing. So I would be remiss if I did not start by saying that organizing with your fellow workers can be a really effective way to make change in the workplace. And it, it might just be a few people combining their voices to bring something to the attention of the supervisor, or it could be joining or organizing a whole union. Our denomination, the Unitarian Universalist Association supports labor organizing and worker justice. Through organizing though, we build relationships with each other as well. We build relationships with each other and those meaningful relationships increase our happiness. You could also try quiet quitting. This is a phrase that's been trending on social media recently. It's actually a misnomer because it's not really about quitting your job. It's about deciding not to participate in being taken advantage of at your job. Quiet quitting is not providing free work. It means I'm not gonna provide free work beyond what you're paid to do. It's fulfilling your job duties, but not going the extra mile in ways that cut back on your rest time. 
it's really setting healthy boundaries at work. This is good, but as soon as I heard it, I also thought about how much more of a radical act this is for somebody with a marginalized identity whose experience may be that they have to work twice as hard as everybody else just to be seen as adequate. Theologian Trisha Hersey talks about capitalism as a culture that grinds people down, that wears them out, uses them up like so much stuff. She says capitalism does not look at things from an ethical or values place. Instead, capital asks, how can we use this being to push our agenda, to become a tool for our production? If we have to not pay people for what they're worth, let's do it. If we, have, if we only have people working for minimum wage, we don't care. If people are sick, they still come to work. Capitalism doesn't have a framework for looking at us as human beings, she says. Hersey points out that this grind culture, as she calls it, has roots in colonialism and white supremacy. And that's why people with marginalized identities may find themselves working twice as hard as others. In this culture, she says, slowing down is an act of resistance. Slowing down is an act of resistance. And she says that's true actually for everybody who is ensnared in grind culture. Going slower, we disrupt it. She launched a nap ministry all about resting. Because you are valuable, you. Because you're not your work. You don't belong to it. It belongs to you. Even though paid work is necessary for most of us in order to provide for ourselves and our families, ultimately all of our work, paid and voluntary, is our own because it's part of how we show up. And we're in charge of that. How other people show up, well, that's their choice. That's a reflection of them, not you. That woman that made me dust the underside of her table, she was a cranky, unhappy person. I don't think behaving that way helped her feel any better. I think that kind of behavior is just a way of actively stewing in misery rather than passively stewing in it, actively stewing in it by inflicting it on others. One of my professors in divinity school talked one day about how hard it is to differentiate ourselves from the negative way that others might behave toward us. He said, when others are hostile, it's not personal, but it's sure meant to be. Great, right? It's not personal, but it's sure meant to be. Someone behaving badly toward you or not seeming to notice that you are a person, that can really bring you down. It can get under your skin, but it's a reflection of them, of their state of mind and their level of skillfulness at being human. Maybe they're caught up in the goals of capitalism and other isms and they've not reflected on how that is impacting their relationships with others. Maybe they're power tripping, which healthy people do not do. Or maybe they're carrying some deep pain inside, actually. Maybe they're carrying some deep pain that is impossible to guess. This is all true beyond the workplace too, of course. How we show up in the world, what we bring to each relationship, that belongs to us. It's up to us to decide whether to live with intention and integrity, to set healthy boundaries where we can, to decide how we want to act and be, how wise, how spiritually grounded, how compassionate and healthy, and then to be that way, to be our authentic selves, regardless of whether others do the same or whether they are actively stewing in misery. In this way, we claim ownership of our work and of our lives. It does take a lot of mindfulness to do that though, doesn't it? A lot of awareness. I'm thinking of our reading again now, that one that you heard earlier by Nancy Schaefer. This asking, this making of a whole self takes such a very long time, she writes. We work here, then there, hold up tattered fabric to the light. We sew at what most needs us. And as it asks, we sew again. The self is not one thing unaltered. It's everything we come upon and make ours. Blessings on your beautiful selves. And on all of your work, whether it is for money or love or both. Labor Day blessings to you.
our offering this morning is written by Kyla Parker, a greater good for ourselves and our world. We know that our financial contributions to this congregation come from sacrifice and hard work. We are so grateful for this and committed together to ensure the funds we gather collectively do a greater good for ourselves and our world than they could have done alone. You can make an offering online by clicking on the link that we'll put on the chat box. Starting today, we have a new Change for the Future recipient for September, October, and November. It's the Art Street program operated by ABQ Healthcare for the Homeless. This is a community art studio used primarily by people who are unhoused. unhoused. A majority of the artists are people of color. Art Street also provides art therapy groups at the West Side Emergency Housing Center with a focus on trauma. If you wish to support Art Street, you can give online using the link in the chat and select Change for the Future when prompted. You can also send a donation to the church and mark the envelope or memo line Change for the Future. And if you prefer not to give online, you can simply mail a check to the church and include Change for the Future on the memo line. May there be an offering to sustain and grow the life and mission of this congregation. May we give in love and in hope. That authentic self that tells us how to be in the world, how to work in the world. That is the voice of the Spirit. I invite you to join me in singing When the Spirit Says Do. generously given is received with gratitude. Thank you on behalf of First Unitarian Church, and thanks on behalf of Art Street, a fine organization. So as we approach the end of the, the service, if you'd like to stay and talk with your fellow congregants, just hang around through the credits and we'll put you in a breakout room. And whether you stay or not, I'd like to offer a discussion question. And it's hard to decide because there was so much to chew on in Angela's, in Angela's sermon. But I settled on this question, which is, have you ever worked with other people to undo a toxic system? Have you ever worked with other people to undo a toxic system? Until then, 
Let's do our Pacham greeting. I invite you to move your view into gallery and place one hand on your heart. The other hand, reach out towards your community. Blessed be. Angela will offer a benediction now. And Kristen will extinguish our chalice as you also extinguish your chalices and candles at home. Friends, as you go out, go in peace today and may love bless you and keep you until we're gathered again. Blessed be.